Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, this morning, as we draw near to the end of this series on the book of Acts, we're going to take a a, uh, a look at Paul's defense before Herod Agrippa. Remember, we, we started there last week. We talked about um, uh, how Paul had been in Caesarea. He had been in prison there for, for over two years. He had appeared before Felix, who uh, was the governor of that province of Judea uh, for a while. And uh, he was found not guilty by Felix, but Felix kept him in prison, detained him for two more years. Um, and um, he was kept in custody, remember, as a favor to the Jews. And then Felix was eventually replaced by Festus. And last week we read um, at least a part of the account of when Peter, uh, Paul appeared before Festus. And then he, at that appearance, he made his appeal to Caesar. And then you remember that Festus arranged for Paul to appear before King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and Bernice, and chapter 26 contains the details of that meeting, his appearance before Agrippa. So we're not going to read the entire chapter, uh, but I want us to begin with the first eight verses, all right, of Acts chapter 26. Verse number one, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense, and this is his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all of the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is, it, or, um, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that God you'd meet with us, Lord, during this time. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would anoint it, God, and that, Father, you would empower me, enable me, God, uh, to preach with clarity, with conviction, so that, Lord, we might hear what your Spirit is saying to us uh, this morning. Father, do all that you desire to do. Give us hearts that are open, Lord, uh, wheels that are broken before you, God, so that we might be obedient to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, um, I described the august assembly that Festus had arranged uh, for Paul's defense here. And so when, when Paul is given permission to speak, the Bible says that he stretched out his hand in, in rhetorical fashion and he began by saying this, I consider myself to be fortunate. Now, those words that Paul considered himself to be fortunate uh, would have been a sharp contrast with the bonds that were fastened around his wrist, whether they were chains or 
leather bonds. They would have hung from his wrist as he stretched his hands out to address the assembly. So it was a kind of a sharp contrast that Paul stretched out his bound hands and said, I consider myself fortunate, Agrippa. Of course, Paul said that he considered himself fortunate to be talking to Agrippa because Agrippa was someone who understood the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Then Paul goes on to describe himself as a devout Jew. In fact, Paul makes the point here that it's precisely because Paul, that he was an ardent believer in what the Jews believed, that it was because of his ardent belief in the promise of God that he had made to their fathers that he, that Paul, was on trial. In, in other words, Paul's saying, it's because I'm such a good Jew that I'm standing before you. It's because I actually believe uh, what the law and the prophets say that I'm standing uh, before you. Of course, Paul is referring to the promise of the resurrection, uh, which Paul understood that Jesus now makes possible to all of those who believe on Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That we have that hope of the resurrection and that we have it because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because he died and that because he was raised on the third day, he is now the down payment of our own resurrection. That uh, because he rose again, we have that same hope that if we trust in him, believe on Jesus Christ, we have that promise of resurrection as well. And then Paul asks, um, in, in the course of his defense, Paul asks a rhetorical question. He says in verse number 8, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul says, it's because of my belief, my faith, my hope in the resurrection uh, that I'm here today. And then he asks, why, why would any of you doubt? Why, why do y'all think that it is incredible that God raises the dead? How I many knows it's a good question that Paul asks? It's a good question. And I suppose that Agrippa, because of his familiarity uh, with the Jewish religion, I, I suppose that Agrippa, maybe he didn't think that it was impossible for God to raise the dead. Certainly the Jews that were there, the Pharisees that were accusing him, the Jews, uh, those that had been accusing Paul all along, they did not think that it was impossible for God to raise the dead because they believed in the resurrection. They claimed anyway to believe in the same promise that Paul has just mentioned, that God had promised their fathers that they would participate in the resurrection if they put their faith and their trust in him. They believed in the resurrection, but, but they believed in the resurrection in the same theoretical way that Martha believed in the resurrection. Do you remember that Bible story about Lazarus when Lazarus passed away? Martha believed that her brother Lazarus would rise again after he passed away. Do you remember what Jesus said to her? When he appeared to her, he said, your brother will rise again. And Martha replied, how does she reply to Jesus? She said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, uh, Martha was stating a belief in a religious doctrine about a, a distant event. 
She was stating her belief in the theoretical resurrection. I know that one day there's going to be a resurrection, and I believe that my brother will, will rise again on that day. So she was stating a theoretical belief in the resurrection. But then Jesus said to her, do you remember? Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, believe, who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha, Martha, do you believe this? In other words, Jesus is confronting Martha's theoretical belief in the resurrection with the direct revelation that he is the resurrection. Therefore, God's promise is fulfilled. Jesus was saying to Martha, God's promise of the resurrection is fulfilled in me, in him, in Jesus. God's promise of the resurrection is fulfilled in him. It's not merely a theory it's not mere, merely a, a doctrine it's not merely a theoretical belief in something that's supposed to happen someday it belief in the resurrection is a belief that Jesus Christ himself died on the cross and that he rose again and that if we believe on him that we will rise in similar fashion can somebody say amen it's not just a theoretical belief it is a belief in Jesus Christ and in, in his resurrection. And that's what makes Paul's rhetorical question here. It's actually a very powerful question because it's, it's no longer possible to separate the theoretical question of resurrection from the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was an event that the Jews that were there that day, none of them could deny the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ and in fact Agrippa himself Paul reveals later Agrippa himself knew about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so Paul is confronting them with a the question this is not just a theoretical question anymore about resurrection it is a question about the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ and whether or not you believe in his and and so in fact Paul's question here his rhetorical question is a is a brilliant personal defense that Paul is making and it's a powerful witness for Jesus Christ because here's what Paul uh, here's what Paul is saying essentially he's saying I don't understand why I'm on trial here today he said I believe everything that the uh, our fathers and the prophets have written I believe in the promise of God concerning resurrection I don't understand why I'm the one on trial I actually believe in the resurrection and what's more all of the evidence Paul is saying all of the evidence is on my side he said that uh, he's saying the tomb is empty <laughs> you can't produce the body of Jesus any Christ uh, of Jesus Christ anywhere the Jews who are here knows that this was an actual event that it took place Agrippa you know that Jesus Christ was uh, has risen from the dead what's more Paul saying there's over 500 witnesses that saw Jesus alive after you guys, the Jews and the Romans, after y'all crucified him and killed him, there's over 500 witnesses that have seen Jesus Christ alive since that day. So Paul is saying, I'm, I don't understand why I'm the one on trial. I believe in the resurrection. I know Jesus Christ has risen again. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's question is, the question is, why don't you believe? 
Why, why don't you believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead? In fact, later in this chapter, Festus, who is the only one in the room who, um, who may not have had an accurate knowledge about the events in Judea up to that point, because remember, he had only what? He had only recently arrived in Judea. Later in the chapter, Festus will say to Paul, Paul, you're crazy. <laughs> Paul, you're, he says, your, uh, your great learning is driving you mad. Um, but, Paul, but Paul will say what? He says, no, actually, I'm speaking true, rational words. And he says, and Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. Because he knew that Agrippa knew Jesus had risen from the dead. The Jews knew Jesus. <laughs> the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen from the dead. And so Paul is putting the question to them about the resurrection. In fact, let's read that exchange in verses 24 through 29. If you look further down in Acts chapter 26. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Verse 29, Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Anyone uh, of us, anyone who has ever tried to uh, persuade a friend or a family member to become a Christian, it, uh, if you've ever tried to persuade a friend or a family member to become a Christian, then you can, you can identify with Paul in Acts chapter 26. Um, and if that describes you, if you've ever, ever been in that position, then you know that it, uh, it seems obvious to us that they ought to believe what is unmistakably true. You're, anybody you've ever experienced that before? You're trying to talk to someone about becoming a Christian or having faith in Jesus Christ. And what is so clear and what is so obviously true to you, you just don't understand why they can't get it. I mean, it's obviously true, but it seems that they have a hard time uh, understanding. And, and so it seems, it seems obvious to you that they ought to believe what is unmistakably true, yet they continue to just hold out and refuse to believe. So it makes no sense to us why anyone would refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? It makes no sense to me why anybody would refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Like Paul, we wonder, why, why do you think God's promise is so incredible? Why, why can't you believe in the promise of God? It makes, it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> and I don't understand why you can't see it and why you won't believe it. Maybe, maybe you've even been called crazy for believing in the Bible. Anybody, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but uh, anybody ever been called crazy for believing the Bible? Uh, you actually believe that stuff, people will say. 
Uh, so maybe you've been called crazy for believing the Bible. And here's, maybe here's what you thought when they called you crazy for believing the Bible. Maybe, maybe you thought, well, you know what? I think you're crazy for not believing the Bible. And that's, that's the point that Paul is making here. He's saying, I, I believe what the promise that God made to our fathers. I believe Jesus Christ rose uh, from the dead, that he's the first fruits. He's the down payment. If I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, then just as he was resurrected, I'll be resurrected as well, just like God's word uh, says. Paul says, my only question is, why don't you believe? Because it seems obvious to me. It's plain um, in God's word. So we don't, we don't, like Paul, we don't understand why they don't want to be like us. And here's what they're thinking. Uh, they look at us and they say, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> Um, the world looks at us and thinks that we're crazy. Well, why is that? What, what accounts for those two very different perspectives? Well, Paul himself provides us with the explanation, which we find in Romans chapter 8. Let me read it for you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This is verse number seven. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, eyes that have not been touched by the hand of God cannot see spiritual things uh, minds that have not been enlightened by the wisdom of God cannot comprehend spiritual truth hearts that have not been opened by the grace of God cannot receive the Holy Spirit the carnal person the unregenerated person will persist in their unbelief even if we succeed in bringing them to the point of persuasion. Even if we argue with them from God's word and say God's word is very clear, here's what God's word says, I believe it just like it's written, they'll say what? You're crazy for believing in that. And we'll say, you're crazy for not believing in, in God's word. It's because their eyes haven't been opened, their heart hasn't been touched, their mind hasn't been enlightened uh, by the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens here with Agrippa. How many knows that if anyone could persuade someone else to become a Christian, I imagine that it would be the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't you? If, I mean, if anybody could talk anybody into being a Christian, it would be the Apostle Paul. Um, and he very nearly succeeds in convincing Agrippa to believe. In fact, verse 28, Agrippa responds to Paul's probing questions. He says, in a short time, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Other translations form uh, Agrippa's words in, in a form uh, that we've come to recognize where Agrippa says, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Either way, here's the thing. Either way, it, how many knows Agrippa's words, they are not a full embrace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Either way, they're not an embrace. Whether or not Agrippa had been sincerely convicted by Paul's words, in the end, 
Agrippa backed away from commitment, and he backed away from faith in Jesus Christ. We, we don't know the exact reasons why Agrippa remained unconvinced. We don't know the exact reasons why he remained unconverted, but there are several reasons that are actually revealed in Acts chapter 26 which explain why others back away and why others remain unconvinced or unconverted. I want to share them with you very quickly. Number one, first reason that some people back away from faith or uh, remain uncommitted to Jesus Christ is that number one, they just, they just have not heard. They don't know the truth. They just don't know the truth. Now listen, that was not Agrippa's excuse. Paul said, Agrippa, I know that you know. <laughs> Everything I'm telling you about, you already know. And, and here's the reality. How many of those, most people, and maybe not most anymore, but a number of people, a large number of people, they already know the truth. They've just rejected the truth. Amen. In fact, Paul says that most people really know that there is a God. Even if they try to deny it even if they try to fight against that knowledge most people know that why because God has put that innate knowledge in their conscience and in, in, in their heart so the reality is that most people do know but there are some that don't have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and, but this was not Agrippa's excuse he knew unlike Festus who who now listen Festus might have been genuinely ignorant about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. In fact, it seems that he did because when he's talking to Agrippa, he says the main contention between Paul and the Jews is about the resurrection of some guy called Jesus. And I don't know about that, but that seems to be the key distinction between them. But unlike Festus, Agrippa actually had a pretty accurate understanding of Jewish law and Jewish custom. And it seems he had an understanding about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he couldn't dispute the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, for the third time in the book of Acts, Paul gives his testimony for the sake of King Agrippa, which is a reminder to us that the most effective means of sharing the gospel with another person is to tell them your story, how you came to know Jesus Christ. Of course, we, we have to understand the gospel. We must be able to uh, present it in a truthful and a logical manner. We should be able to articulate the gospel. But listen, seldom, in fact, I was trying to think of it this week, and I'm not sure that I know of any instance when anybody has ever been argued or debated into the kingdom of God. Um, we just seldom is it the case that we can argue or debate someone into believing having believing faith in Jesus Christ. Most often they will be compelled by the power of our testimony and more importantly, they'll be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just, we can't argue them and debate them into the kingdom of God. Most powerful way of sharing the gospel with somebody is sharing your testimony. And that's what Paul does. Again, for at least the third time, he shares his testimony in the book of Acts. And so it bears repeating here again salvation is the work of God it's not it's something that God does in somebody else's heart it is it is a spiritual supernatural act of God how many knows it's not a mental or an intellectual agreement it's more than that it's a spiritual transaction that takes place 
in a person's heart when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. So you can't argue them or debate them into the kingdom of God. You just tell them their story, bear witness of Jesus Christ, and trust the Holy Spirit to convict them of the truth. We don't have the responsibility to persuade anyone. We can speak persuasively, but how many know it's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to convince person and to convict them of the truth, amen? So some people hold back just simply because they don't know the truth, and it's our responsibility to tell them the truth, to, to preach the word. But second of all, another reason why people hold back, they fail to commit fully to Jesus Christ is that they, they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They don't have a, a personal experience with Jesus Christ. It bears pointing out here that after Paul wonders aloud to the crowd, why, why is this incredible to anyone that God would raise the dead? Then Paul goes on and he tells them about his personal experience, which begins, interestingly enough, begins at the same place they are. It begins with him having the same sort of skepticism and having the same sort of unbelief that they have. Paul said, I myself was unconvinced. I myself, in fact, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, so I locked Christians up in prison. I got letters granting and I approved of their execution. I punished Christians in the synagogue and I, I attempted to make them blaspheme. In fact, he says, in raging fury against these Christians, he said, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And so Paul was a skeptic as well. What changed uh, Paul's skepticism? What changed Paul's unbelief? Well, it was his experience on the road to Damascus. It was his experience of the resurrected, the living Jesus Christ. Leonard Ravenhill once said, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument about God. An experience with Jesus Christ, how many of us can dispel a hundred arguments against Jesus Christ? Many people actually know a lot about God. Agrippa was in that category. It seems that he knew a lot about God. But simply knowing a lot about God does not mean that you actually know God. I'm convinced there's a lot of Christians they know a lot about God, but they don't have an experiential knowledge of God in their hearts and, and in their life. Paul learned that lesson, that distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. He learned that distinction on his way to persecute saints in Damascus. Jesus Christ appeared to him, and immediately he fell off of his horse, and he said, he called on Jesus Christ as Lord, Lord. Paul experienced the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. And all of the years of his learning about God, uh, all of his opinions about who God was, everything that he thought that he understood about God, all of that was changed in a moment when he experienced the person of Jesus Christ. So let me just say, if you have a friend or a family member that you want to persuade um, to become a Christian, then you should tell them about Jesus. Share your story with them. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. That's important. They need to know the truth. But, but listen, if, if you are talking to them about God, but you're not talking to God about them, then, how many, then you're only doing half 
of your responsibility. And, and some would say it's not even the most important half of the responsibility. Uh, you need to be talking to God about them and praying and asking God, God, show yourself to them. You, you need to be praying that they have an experience with God which will reveal Jesus Christ to them and that will convince them of the truth of what you have been saying. Because everything that you're saying is important, it's necessary that they know, but listen, it's also important that they experience Jesus Christ for themselves. Because that's what will make the difference. Pray that God will interrupt their lives in such a way that they will call on the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a third reason. The third reason why some people back away from God or they fail to commit themselves fully to Jesus Christ um, is because they refuse. They just simply refuse to repent. They refuse to repent. Paul told Agrippa that after he, after Paul, after he had been converted, then he immediately began to declare to others that they ought to repent also. In fact, here's what he says in verses 19 and 21, if you want to read it with me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. You see, Paul himself had been forcefully brought to a place where he was made to see the error of his ways. You remember that? He talks about it to King Agrippa. He said, Jesus Christ appeared to me and said, Paul, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why do you insist on going the wrong uh, direction? Paul had been forcefully brought to that place where he was made to see his wrong direction and the error of his ways. And to his credit... Paul repented, and he believed. He repented of his disobedience and his sin, and he called on the name of the Lord. Therefore, he was saved at that moment. And then immediately, immediately he began to tell others and explain to them that, that they should also repent and that they should also turn to God. Paul said, hey, I was I was moving in the same direction that you guys were, but when I realized I was moving in the wrong direction, I got turned around and I started to say to others, hey, wait, wait, that's the wrong direction. Turn, repent, and go in this direction. Everyone knows that's a natural reaction of anybody who understands that you're heading in the wrong direction. I was, the day after the um, hurricane, I, uh, Josh and Aiden and I were driving around trying to find a route back to the church from our house. And uh, we would go down this road, and it would be blocked. And we'd go down another road, and it would be blocked. I, I turned down one road. I was getting ready to try one. Uh, it wasn't the last road, but one the next to the last road. And I turned down it, and there was a guy coming in the opposite direction, and he was waving me down. Anybody knows what that means? Uh, stop, turn around, go the other direction. That's exactly what Paul started to do. He said, I was on my way to Damascus, and the Lord had to knock me off my horse and say, listen, fella, you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> Turn around <laughs> and go the other direction. And so Paul said the first thing I started doing was doing what? Waving at others and saying, nah, don't go this way. Turn around and, and go the other direction. 
So Paul immediately began to call on others to repent because he had seen the error of his own ways. Immediately he began to explain that they should repent, that they should turn to God. And Paul, fact, and Paul, uh, Paul says, in fact, that's what got me into trouble was I started preaching repentance <laughs> to others and Jews didn't like uh, that I was telling them that they were wrong. And this, listen, this is what holds many people back from following Jesus Christ. The inability or simply the refusal to admit that they're wrong. The, the refusal to admit their error and to turn away from a former way of living. The refusal to repent. There's, there's lots of things that can hold people back. Sin, obviously. A life of sin, a refusal that, no, I don't want to stop living the way that I'm living. I enjoy the things that I'm doing, and, and I refuse uh, to repent of my sin. Pride can hold us back. The inability to just admit I'm wrong. God, you're right. Ambition. Uh, no, I want these things in my life. I want wealth. I want fame. I want power. And so I'm going to go after these things, and no matter what God says to me, that I'm going to keep following my direction, anger, pain, resentment. There's a lot of things that people have a hard time repenting of and turning away from. But here's the thing. The longer we hold on to those things, those things prevent us from doing what God wants us to do. Amen. And so unrepentance holds many people back from the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. How many knows unrepentance is not just a problem for unbelievers? It can be a problem for believers as well. Unrepentance is something that we can deal with also, and that if if we're unwilling to repent of certain things that God reveals to us, then how many knows it can hold us back? It can keep us from achieving and gaining what God wants to do in our life. It's not just unbelievers that pull back from the will of God. It's not just unbelievers that fail to fully commit to Jesus Christ. There are believers also that fail to commit fully to Jesus Christ. In fact, um, one final thing I want to point out before, before I wrap it up. Paul changed directions. He repented of the wrong direction he was going in, but he also, he also had to make the decision to go in the right direction. And in fact, in verse number 19, did you notice verse number 19? He says, so Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision that I had received. I realized I was going in the wrong direction, so I repented. And I turned around. But then, Agrippa, I became obedient to God's will in my life. What God showed me, what God said to me, then I began to obey what God had shown me and what he had said to me. It means that he began to serve God with all of his heart and with all of his strength. His strength. Many Christians remain at the place where they were when they were saved they fail to progress and move forward in their relationship with God, I believe, simply because they fail to obey God's vision for their life and do God's will. Um, and I'm encouraging you this morning, don't, don't hold back. Don't, don't be like Agrippa. I'm, I'm convinced this morning that you guys are believers, and so you have already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I'm... I'm going to encourage you this morning, don't hold back from what God has 
for you. How many knows God always has more for us than we can even imagine for ourselves? And what is it that holds us back and keeps us from that? Well, it, it might be unrepentance, but it, it might just be that we fail to obey the vision that God has given to us. That we need to step out in obedience to him. And if we'll step out in obedience to him, listen, here's a wonderful thing. In verse number 22, look at it very quickly if you'd like to. In verse number 22, Paul says to Agrippa, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. You know, one of the reasons why we fail to believe the visions that God gives to us is because we think, what, that can't happen. I can't do that. That's not, that's not possible. That can't be God. And so because we make uh, the estimate that we cannot do what God is calling us to do, we fail to obey the direction that God gives to us. But all God wants is for us to take the step of faith. And if we'll take the step of faith, how many knows we'll have the help that comes from God. Amen. He'll give us the strength. He'll give us the power. He'll give us the ability. He'll give us the anointing that we need when we simply take the step of faith and say, God, I'm not going to be disobedient to the vision that you've given to me, but I'm going to obey you with all of my heart. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play App Store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.